0: Hello, guys, and welcome to Fiat Lux. Today on the show, we have Hari from Health Exchange. Uh, welcome, Hari. How's it going?
1: Hey, it's going well. Great to be here,
0: Yeah, good, good to have you. Um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, I think I want to start with um, something I heard you talk about that may be like a good uh, way to get into the, the, the whole topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard you say... Uh, the other day, in a Twitter space, that I think it was one in three Americans have their healthcare data sold without their knowledge. Um, can you talk about this a little, and then maybe you know sort of like lead that into what health exchange is and and why you're here, and you know what 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 what's the issue here that that health exchange is trying to solve?
1: Yeah. So you're you're actually kind of right. It's worse than it sounds. Um, so it's 100 million Americans are part of a data set that's curated by one company. So the largest company in the United States for healthcare is United Healthcare Group. They own this uh, this provider sort of services side called Optum. What, what Optum does, they essentially just buy out independent practices and now they're huge. They're all over the country um, and there are all these like small to mid to some of them are, are a little bit bigger, but usually like small to mid-sized practices across the country. Uh, and so 100 million Americans use one of these patch uh, practices. Uh, and when they go in, they sign a, a form and that form uh, is like a, a HIPAA release form. It, it lets uh, the doctor look at their information, request their information. Uh, but they also have a clause in there where they can use your data for research and the way they do that is they like strip out your name it's not like identifiable back to you but it's data collected on you and those call that you know person x or token i don't know 543 whatever it is right um and they have this huge data set you can actually look it up all you have to look up is optum ehr data set and they claim to have 100 million americans uh, and they actively sell that data to pharmaceutical companies, and the reason that's useful for pharma companies is um, it can be useful for things like figuring out how much of a population has a certain disease to, to go after that, like so market research type activity. Um, it's also potentially useful for creating uh, novel diagnostics. So just based on someone's data, can you predict whether they're going to have a heart attack or whether they're going to develop cancer, right? So you can build these like AI engines that are very valuable in the market as well. And then finally, it's actually really useful for detecting new biomarkers um, and new drug targets. And so the way that's done, say you have 100 healthy people and 100 people with uh, that suffer from a heart attack, you analyze everything, all the differences about those two pools or those two populations, and you can figure out, hey, people with heart attacks had mutations in genes X, Y, and Z. Um, they usually had a higher like protein X level or, or something like that. right? You can figure out what's going on in a disease population versus... A healthy population, and then you can target your drug development specifically around that using that information. And um, maybe we, this is a good time to to pause. But uh, the reason why it's so valuable uh, is because currently, like that's not how medicines are made. Medicines are you know you come up with two thousand or twenty thousand targets in in a, in a machine, right? You test it. You do simulations. You come come up with a couple hundred. You have your chemists synthesize it. You try it in mice. You try it in rats. And eventually, if it's safe enough tried in humans um and you know people talk about pharma trials clinical trials phase one two three i think the rate of a drug going all the way from phase one to actually hitting the market is less than seven percent right so people like this is very random like the, the way medicines are created like it's it's not the way you would think it's more just like we're just trying stuff until it works um but i guess going back to, to the main point um uh, because of that data is very very valuable uh, and, you know, companies know uh, and that 100 million Americans that have their data sold, that's just one company. Um, the reality is it's probably closer to like 60, 70 percent of Americans have had their data used at one point by one of these like data aggregation companies. Um, and this is health data. It's protected data. Uh, but I just don't think people know about it or realize it. Uh, but it it happens all the time.
0: OK. Um, and so I guess is... is um part of the mission at Health Exchange, um, at, least, at least as a sort of side effect, uh, is, is that to sort of change the way we think about health data ownership and access?
1: Yeah, a bit of both, actually. So we're trying to do two things at Health Exchange. Um, we see the future of medicine really being data-driven. There's a lot of money in it, and the reason why pharma's putting in money is that they think they're gonna get more money on the back end, right, when they actually develop these drugs. Uh, we think that patients should be cut in, right? It's 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 our data, it's our patients' data. Um, there's no reason why they shouldn't participate in the financial upside that they help create, right? Like, so if if I donate my data and based on my data you created a new drug, well, I don't own that drug. You still did all the you know work for it, all the research. I don't have any scientific expertise, but it seems fair that you should get some sort of compensation, right? Even if it's minor, uh, it feels like. That just feels fair. And At the end of the day, even if you look at U.S. laws, it clearly states that patients do own their health data. If you ask anyone in a healthcare setting, they'll say that patients own their data. They're not going to say a pharma company owns my data or a hospital owns my data. It's I own my healthcare data. And so, yeah, that, that is like one of our sort of key tenets to, to even creating health exchange in the first place. But the other part is that, you know, this this data collection, it's going to happen. It, it's just the way it's going to work uh, because that's how medicine is going to occur in the future it's going to be more personalized and based on your information about your unique body rather than this sort of randomized sort of risk adjusted approach to to medicine and so with health exchange we found an opportunity where you know we can fairly and ethically pay people and bring them along for the ride um and clue them in onto what's happening while creating something that's like a product that's differentiated um and Something that we think can can really help shape the future of medicine. Um, so it, it's a bit of both, I guess, to, to answer your question.
0: <laughs> okay. Um. So, good. Maybe could you could explain, um, just a little bit more about uh, health exchange. Maybe, um, just how, how is it? How is the model um different? Because we just talked about um, obviously like data ownership and and who owns that, and do they have the right to um be compensated for the money that's made from their data? Um, so what is Health Exchange kind of doing uh, in in order to sort of um, combat that or, or, or yeah, like, what is Health Exchange solving for how,
1: and how is it doing it? Yeah, so uh, we're doing a few things for that, actually. So uh, right now we're still in development. We haven't launched yet, but... Uh, the first thing we're gonna uh, put out is a, a solution. Unfortunately, this is U.S. only because uh, the U.S. has a, like the data infrastructure for a patient to actually request and retrieve their own records uh, at, in like a very cheap and effective way. Um, however, our first product that we're gonna put out is it's going to be a free use product for for anyone who's living in the United States. Uh, it just it's a few uh, like identifying information um, to figure out like who you are and you are who you say you are. Uh, and then based on that information, it puts all your health data from any hospital you've been to in, in one location, right? And um, it's free to use. We don't use that data. We don't like look at that data. It's just for, uh, essentially, it's for our patients to uh, quickly access their data from anywhere. And that's actually kind of an issue because right now in the United States, in some places, like data still gets faxed to you. That's quickly changing. Um, but we think there needs to be like easier access for the average consumer to just look at all their healthcare data in one place. Once we have that sort of created, um, then we're gonna start uh, a, a, essentially like, like an open beta where uh, people can share their health data with us and in return, uh, we'll, we'll credit them some, some points on the platform. Um, but the end goal is that we'll actually create a token. Um, it'll likely be a security, um, mm-hmm. but essentially it has a hard cap and uh, above about a billion tokens right now. We're still designing the tokenomics so and we're still open to feedback as well, Um, but the idea is we distribute tokens to people sharing data with us um, and we'd incentivize different types of data sets. So not just your clinical records, but if you have genetics or some sort of protein markers, um, like Fitbit activity, like any sort of health data um, will compensate you in our token. And the idea is we build a large data set of a bunch of people, obviously any data you give us, we will scrub and anonymize in the same way. Um, as, as as the industry does, um, except when we go make partnerships with pharmaceutical companies or we create devices or potentially we start, uh, you know, working in clinical trials and try to create our own drugs, uh, a portion of that money will be sort of put aside for our token holders and our users, right? So you can think of us as almost like a, like a pharma cooperative, right? It's like it's a co-op in the sense that all our users get together and provide their data. And that's like the, the differentiated uh, offering that we provide to pharma companies, to institutions. And so we'll go to a pharma company and say, Hey, we have, I don't know, 50,000, 500,000 patients on our platform. We know you guys are running clinical trials, for example, and you want to recruit patients with, I don't know, let's say psoriasis or eczema or, uh, uh, you know, signals of depression, maybe to, to try a new sort of therapy. Uh, we have patients on our platform pay us and, you know, we'll advertise your clinical trials our our patients can get on the clinical trials and uh you know get access to the to the latest medication um we get paid from the pharma company so we can operate and we take some of that payment and also distribute it to our users um so we're trying to create like a, a, in, in the short term and this is in the like next 3 to 4 years we're trying to create like a platform where someone can go in and uh essentially get paid for the healthcare data and then see if they can participate in in clinical trials or or other sort of research initiatives that pharma does Mm -hmm. Um, in the future, like more in the five to 10 year range, uh, we actually think we could potentially start creating uh, and and deploying AI on our platform. And so the way that would look like is, um, like I was saying earlier, with all this data, it's possible to create like early diagnosis algorithms. Uh, And you you don't need a blood test, you don't need anything. You probably just need to click a button uh, and it'll sort of scan all your data and then predict whether you're gonna have a health event in the next one to two years. And so by joining our platform, the idea is you would get paid, you would get potentially offers for clinical trials and you'd get this additional like health value where your data is being scanned constantly uh, and it'll like the, the machine will let you know if you're at high risk for something. And so if you're at high risk for something, you can go to the doctor, tell them you have this risk or maybe give you a reason why. And that would change sort of the care algorithm or the way care is provided to a person, make it much more tailored. um, Like highlight who's at higher risk for developing what, and hopefully catch some disease early. So I'll I'll pause there. There's actually one more part of the platform way in the future, um, but we we can talk about it. It's more about drug development. Um, But uh, yeah, cool. That 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 was
0: awesome. Um, Yeah, no, because I'm really interested in the the uh, kind of AI stuff, uh, and I also but it was cool you mentioned like a, a fitbit uh or maybe other kinds of technology so maybe like glucose monitors you can you can yes, tap, EGNs, in, tap into things like that yeah, exactly um so that's that's really interesting and it's something um i've advocated for myself uh for a while you know it's um i mean we were talking before the podcast about um you know how i got into this and we we're talking about like disillusionment. Um, and I guess I've sort of applied the same thing to the, the medical industry when I look at the technology that we have in our personal lives and kind of the, the lack of interconnectivity um, mm. or networking um, between, not necessarily between the devices, but the, the way that we use the information that these devices can collect. It seems to me quite obvious um, with things like Fitbits and... Um, you know maybe iot other types of iot devices um you know glucose monitors um there's i mean there's a there's a there's a number of things um i mean you've got like stepping now i mean i guess you could even include you know like sort of these like high-tech pedometers because they uh sleep there's a a lot of sleep apps and sleep things that like that's obviously sleep's really important um so yeah i really i really do like that idea and i think it's um it's quite an important one i think that i think that we we are a little slow on the uptake we're getting there obviously you're trying to do something about it which is really cool um but yeah definitely need some some improvement we definitely need like um more people like yourself you know like people sort of into technology uh and kind of like looking to the future and trying to trying to bring that forth um or or bring the future forward you know uh, cuz th- th- i mean that seems essentially like what you're doing right you've got this like concept of like a new way of, of like um you know reading the data and collecting the data and and paying patients for their data um and just improving like healthcare in general um so yeah i mean uh like you said we could maybe talk about uh some of the drug development stuff a, a little bit later i would like to um i just touched on a, a couple of different devices or, or types of Devices that can gather information that, that could be useful um, Are there any like um novel devices or like uh, y- you know things that collect information that, that you think um, you know looking forward into the future that will, that will be uh, useful or just or just interesting to use? like what what kind of other device apart from the you know like the heart rate monitor, is there any like sort of esoteric devices uh, that, that's really cool and cutting edge and that you're interested in?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think we can start with what's in the market now and then what's more and more on the bleeding edge. But uh, I think like genomic sequencing is up there and there's different types of genomic sequencing, right? There's the stuff that 23andMe does, uh, mm-hmm. which is basically, um, it, it, it just tells you at a point like your, your entire genome, um, but you can also get, it, all, it, it only looks at like certain parts of it. You get whole genome sequencing, which is like sequence absolutely everything in your DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, you can start measuring RNA, and uh, I guess for for viewers, just in in general, uh, going back to to some high school biology, right? Um, there's three main analyte types that uh, biochemists tend to look at: it's DNA, RNA, and protein. DNA is just the the genetics; it's the building blocks, it's the blueprint. RNA is sort of like a messenger, and then proteins are the actual machines um, that that run in your cells. Like they're they're tiny little machines that make your cells alive, right? They, they they pretty much do all the activity inside uh, inside your cells, and so we can measure the first two DNA and RNA with decent fidelity. Much uh, like DNA is more stable, so that's easier to uh, sequence RNA a bit less so. But we, we've started to to create some methods. Um, but where we don't have that much int- that much information is around proteins. So in in just a single cell, there are thousands, maybe maybe tens of thousands of protein, problems, but definitely at least a few thousand proteins. Um, that are that are active and expressed, um, and in in even the most leading institutions like you know your Harvards or your your MITs of the world, uh, at a single sort of experiment, I don't think people can measure more than 70, 80 proteins, um, and you know there's thousands up there. So it begs the question like what what do we really know about the human body? Not much. We 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 know what proteins should be there, but we don't actually have those measurements because we can't measure that. At scale, um, and so some of the interesting companies that are that are—they're uh, not looking at proteins, but there are a, a, a whole host of startups that are trying to like sort of map the proteome, right? So it's it's it, it, like how in in the early two thousand, people were trying to map the genome, trying to figure out like what genes w- would like map the human genome, trying to figure out what genes cause what, etc. Um, now people are trying to do that at the protein level, and I think there's there's a lot of companies uh, trying trying to do that now. Um, I don't think any of them have. Like been successful or, or uh, but it, 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 it's a, it's a growing sort of place of interest. Um, the other place that has sort of uh, blown up recently is this uh, idea of like single cell analysis. Um, so previously the way like uh, even the way g- genome sequencing is done like you take a bunch of cells blend them together and then get a lot of DNA and you sort of computationally recreate it on the back end. Um, but Nowadays, people are able to like isolate a single cell uh, and then map out within that cell what's being expressed or so like what genes are being turned on, turned off uh, at like a very high fidelity. Um, but again, this is like early days still. It's really expensive to run those experiments. It's not being done like, uh, it's not being done very um, sort of in a, in a widespread fashion. Uh, but companies like 10X Genomics, for example, um, it's a publicly traded company. They do exactly that sort of single cell. Uh, analysis that's where a, a, a lot of the, uh, the activity right now is taking place like the, the cutting edge stuff
0: okay um well i i uh yeah i like that you touched on the uh the kind of dna stuff um and then now i'm wondering uh because you talked about like in the future we can sort of um like uh you know that we can put in place sort of preventative uh n- not measures but um i guess like warnings right like like you're saying, like they'll analyze the data and you'll put them through these algorithms. um, And then, you know, maybe when they join health exchange, they're under the threshold or whatever, but then your blood pressure goes higher than it should do and they get, you know, whatever, red alert, you know, like, um, and so uh, I'm wondering if you've ever thought about um, diets and how you can use, um, you know, this DNA sequencing uh, to impact uh people in that way because uh you know there are certain people have you know certain tolerances, certain intolerances, um certain people have um allergies uh also people you know there's all sort there's all sorts of like nuances to how people's uh bodies Kind of interact with food how they digest food all that kind of stuff so yeah i guess i'm just wondering because you touched on the dna thing um have you ever thought about like even if it's just in the future you know if it's like in the, in the 10-year five-year plan um have you yeah, have you thought much about how you could maybe like help people with with diets or anything like that
1: yeah so like this is one of those things where like everyone has their own unique biology and then everyone has their own special biology but it's not that unique right like in the sense that if, if you exist, there's probably like a few hundred people that are like very, very similar to you close enough that it's like effectively it's the same biology or like very, very similar biology. Right. And so what we could do if we have, again, this, this, all comes back to the data that or the information that we have that allows us to make these sort of arguments. But, uh, if we had enough data that, you know, these hundred people, because of their genetics, because of the information we have on them, you know, they do worse eating rice, right? They're better off eating breads, for example. Is this brand, right? Um, and and but for these people, you know, they they are best off just being carnivores, or these people are best off being vegans, right? Like that could be possible that diff- like over time, uh, different sets or groups of people have different mutations, and that because of that, certain foods or, or uh, certain medications, definitely, but definitely certain foods as well uh, could, could have different effects on their body. Right. And so this, this comes back to the idea of like, uh, and everything we're talking about here is, is it's, it's called precision medicine. And that idea is exactly what it sounds like. Like uh, rather than having this, like, you know, everybody eat against the food pyramid or whatever. Right. It's, it's more like, Hey, like this person needs this because of their unique biology. Let's get them more, I don't know, bread, bananas, whatever they need
0: yeah no that's that's and you brought up a a, 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 i suppose important point um or an interesting point even um it like you said it's about the data and it's really interesting to think uh of all the kind of things like you know custom or tailored diets um i mean even things like uh you know when you look at um and again maybe this is way far in like very far in the future I, i don't know you might know better than i do um things like stress reduction so uh as far as i'm aware there is something called epigenetics and um you can kind of like map how uh whether people have a um kind of like a, a heightened um you know in intolerance or, or like heightened uh propensity to um come under stress because of maybe things that have been passed on for generations maybe um Again, this is this is sort of like uh, I'm not an expert on this, but um, you know, there's I've heard of at least the the people have theorized or hypothesized um that you know maybe stress can be generational. So you, you have things like, like people who are in um you know war torn countries or whatever. So maybe if your grandma was in World War Two, um, you might actually have genes or, or turned on that enable you to deal with stress better. Or it could be even worse, like maybe if you traumatize in a certain way, um, or, or you know your, your uh, you know grandfather, grand grandmother, your, your mother, your father, etc. Um, maybe if they had something happen to them that was maybe traumatic, uh, some kind of an environmental stressor, you know, uh, and that t- activate these genes. There's, I mean, there's just so many possibilities. Like you say, with the, it's the data that's crucial. And once you get the data, then you can start to map these patterns out. And then you can create all sorts of products and services and things from the data. Um, so yeah, I, really, I I really like that idea, and it, it's um, it's it's data data is powerful, you know. Uh, and and I guess that's why um, it also makes a lot of money, you know. It's sort of coming back to the to the point, of, you know, health exchange. Um, not that the point isn't to make <laughs> make money, but um, that you're seeing this thing of of, of you know, like the, the data is valuable and people are taking advantage of people in a sense so that people are being taken advantage of. Um, and so they should be, you know, reimbursed for, for what, what the, what value is theirs essentially that they're just giving away and they don't even realize. Um, <clears throat> so just, just to take sort of a right turn here. Um, you've know, talked about all of the things that we can do, that things that are possible in the future. Um, what, what, maybe problems or even shortcomings uh do you think that decentralized um healthcare data systems have like what maybe maybe even just problems you've run into you know things like clashing against the FDA or even Maybe some, you know, sometimes blockchains aren't aren't good for every purpose, or like sometimes it's better to have certain aspects of it's centralized. Um, so, what what kind of issues have, have you run into, or what what issues do you foresee?
1: Yeah, so the main question we get is, are we putting health data on chain? Right? Um, I think that's that's something that comes up a lot, and the answer is no, right? Um, and it's no for a few reasons, but primarily. Uh, there are certain regulations, at least in the United States, about how you can store personal health data. And it's written into the regulation that you have to store it on like a dedicated machine. And if you look at something like the IPFS, right? Like that, that whole protocol for, files, for Filecoin, for example, mm-hmm. um, you, you're essentially like, you're using a bunch of partition hard drives of potentially unsecured machines. And so it, it's like just from a regulatory perspective, like some of that, some of those issues do creep up, right? Um, I think... The the secondary thing is like centralization versus decentralization, and the implications on value, right? So, let's say there's a totally decentralized health data market, right? Where everyone puts up, and I think that's like a utopian uh, sort of view on it. It's very crypto-native, and that's what people have tried before. Because uh, the idea we're talking about, it's it's being tried in like multiple sort iterations, different flavors on it. Uh, but the way it's been tried before is is in that way. Let's create a marketplace. People come in every time your data gets sold or your data gets used, you get paid, right? It, it deposits in your account because before your data even goes out, and there's like a uh, a sort of cryptographic proof method to figure out that your data is the one that we need, right? Um, and you know it, it's a beautiful system, but then when you think about the reality of a system like that, it's like everyone's going to get paid like twenty cents, maybe like every time uh, someone requests your data, but then you have to go onto the platform and click yes every time in a timely manner for like, I don't know, 10 cents, 20 cents, whatever, whatever that, that number is. It's just, it's too low. Uh, it, it's it's The payment does not sort of incentivize you to do much. And the reason for that is when you have all this data that anyone can use, it's a commodity, right? And commodities in a market, they get pushed down, the price goes down. Where's the value in this? The real value is in insight generation and asset generation. So what's the information we can pull out from the data set? That's useful to a pharma company. That's very, very valuable to a pharma company. What drugs can we generate? I mean, people know how much <laughs> drugs cost, right? You, we, everyone knows how much pharma makes. And so to really capture value, right? You, you, like what do you have to give up? You have to give up decentralization. Like that. that's actually what it is, right? So if you had a centralized entity actually using all this data, brokering deals on your behalf right you get more leverage you get more negotiating power right and as a result you can generate more revenues and if you're sharing that revenues the average person also gets paid more right and it's for less work right because now they don't have to come in and click every time they're just sort of delegating responsibility to that central authority of course centralization i mean everyone in the crypto space knows comes with its own risks right um the way we try to uh sort of make the argument that, you know, we can be centralized is um, you know, we're based in the United States, we comply with the United States laws, there actually is recourse against our company. Like, if you don't like what we did, or if you think what we did is illegal, according to US law, you can sue us, right? And, and so uh, in that sense, we're, we're a little bit like a traditional company. Uh, but we're using the blockchain. And specifically, the reason we, we want to use the blockchain is because we're using it as like a almost like an incentive layer, right? So it's we're using it as a like a payments network uh, where we can design the nature of the token to be fair uh and to to reflect future value, not just like cash value today.
0: Okay. Okay. Um you mentioned IPFS there. Um I just this is just a little random random um little factoid. Um did you know, and I might be wrong about this, so I might make a fool of myself here, but apparently IPFS was uh, originally, um, like, the concept was made for DSi. It was meant to be used for science, apparently. I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't know that. Obviously, it's, it has many uses today. Um, but I did see, like, a, um, a talk, uh, one of the ETH, conf- ETH conferences, and the, the person that... Um, you know founded i p f s was talking about how originally it was actually meant to be used for science, which i thought was um really cool um and yeah and and just to you know go back to just what speak to what you just said um i think that was uh that' was a good explanation and i think that's um definitely necessary for to understand the nuances and the reasons why you know centralized um platforms or centralized databases versus decentralized why like why sometimes it's not always like not everything fits into the decentralized model not everything works efficiently um you know it's it's not it's not a one size fits all kind of thing um and i think most like reasonable people would would, would agree with that so i'm I'm kind of glad you covered that um because i imagine uh you know you probably like you said you've had a lot of questions about that uh and it is something that Especially diehard crypto people that 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 um you know they might be like skeptical of. Um Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think there's and also this is interesting because uh, you know, a lot of, of the people who really started crypto, I think they they had to be like libertarian or anarchists, right, to to really buy into that idea. Like the first move is like the, I think we're very much bought into that idea. And, you know, in those communities there's this idea that um like or there's a misconception that all monopolies are due to government pressure or regulation right so and that is true like you see a lot of like anti-competitive behavior arise in like monopolies and they use the government as like a weapon as a club to say like no more competition like make it harder for for a new entrant to join etc etc however like that is true and that does happen but on the flip side there's also plenty of natural monopolies right so if you let a market go unchecked, like absolutely no regulation whatsoever. Some markets tend to monopolizations, right? Like they they just go that way naturally. I mean, just, just look at Bitcoin, right? Like that was yeah, exactly. a, that
0: was natural, that arose naturally, and it's it's the, obviously the dominant uh, cryptocurrency by a mile. Um, exactly. And government had nothing to do with that.
1: Yeah, and and, and I mean, it's it, it's not just in, in in that space. It can be like in any market, anytime, like you have economies of scales that develop, right. That just allow you to do things cheaper than a new entrant, right. You have more reach, you have brand, right. Like there are are things that happen just in like a natural economic system that just create advantages for scale. And in some markets that, that wins out. And so I I think the, the idea that like centralization is like a bad thing that's, only created through like some sort of government entity and things like that i think it's a misconception um and so like like you said I, I think things need to be like analyzed on a case-by-case basis right like whether someone's centralizing because they want to rug you essentially right or or someone's centralizing for like a real reason right like a real market reason and, and i think like defending that and really like explaining the difference between the two is is, is pretty important and, and can sometimes like uh uh, go 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 the wrong way right or or uh, the messaging can be off sometimes um but i guess what i'm trying to say is like it's okay to be centralized i think what's more important is that you be transparent i think that's what people actually want like i don't think people mind that some like there's some concentration of power as long as they know like what are the implications of that Mm. oh and what are like the things that can happen because of that um yeah yeah Uh, no
0: (laughs) i yeah I, i um I, I agree. I think like for for a lot of people, like you say, it's it's a, maybe what they want is transparency. Um obviously there is a side to it where, um, despite even, you know, the, the transparent nature of something, um, if there is a sort of control mechanism that's able to be uh, uh like co opted, right? So um then, then I think that's where um transparency i I guess is less um important and you would wait you know the sort of decentralization of the the, you know decentralization of of power essentially um you would wait that a little more um because yeah obviously like it's okay if you can see what someone's doing um but all it takes is like a a bad actor to get the, the helm of said project or your own said database uh and then if if they want to do something nefarious then you're kind of screwed however transparent they are you can't like once the damage is done um but anyway i I want to get back to what you were saying about um sort of drug development when you were saying like maybe we can talk about that later um yeah maybe would you would you like to talk a little bit about the the drug development side of stuff in the future
1: yeah yeah so um i think yeah the way drugs are created today I think I, I don't know what, what I, what I mentioned previously, but you know, essentially you start off with thousands of compounds, you run them on like a simulator, you get to a couple of hundreds, you have your chemists make them. Uh, once they make them, you test them in mice. few don't work. You test them in rats. Maybe some of the rats die. Those don't work. They're too toxic. Right. Um, you get to like uh, like larger mammal studies and you get to ape studies and then you go to human trials. Right. Um, and you know, all this stuff happens and you filter to like a lead candidate from like thousands, you have one and that goes into phase one. The likelihood of that becoming a drug at the end of it is like less than 7%, right? So even after all this filtering, you have one lead candidate, 7% shot, it becomes a drug. And so uh, that's how medicines are created today. And as a result of that, the way medicines work on a population is also like completely Uh, it falls like a bell curve, right? Like every other sort of natural, uh, I guess, uh, or Mm. natural way that things shake out in like probabilistic fashion. Like when a drug works, it really only works well for like a subsection of people. And Mm. the example I was giving, you know, we were talking about this before the podcast. When they say a drug works 70% of the time, what that actually means is that a drug will work really well, the way it's supposed to, and the way you think about it working 40% of the time. It'll work kind of well for 30% of people. Mm. Maybe for 20% of people, it, it won't work at all. It won't do anything. For like 8 to 9% of people, it'll be slightly bad. So they should get off it as soon as possible. And for like that last 1% to 2%, like it could be really devastating for them. Like the consequences of taking that drug could be bad. And I mean, you hear about this stuff all the time where someone goes in, they take medication and the medication makes it worse, right? And that's because, you know, like... The doctor isn't like a bad doctor. Like when the doctor like uh, sees a patient, like the information they have is like this drug works 70% of the time. If I don't give them this drug, the alternative is not giving them this drug, and that's terrible for the patient. So I'm gonna make a decision, I'm gonna give them this drug, see what happens, maybe potentially switch them off, maybe adjust the dosage, whatever that, that means, right? Um, but that's the doctor's job. So you have this asset that's really not. It's it's designed quote unquote for everyone, but it's really like just came like randomly, right? You randomly tested it and you got it. You know how it works, kind of like mechanistically a little bit. You know how it works, uh, but I'll, I'll, most of that's just tested. The doctor, the doctor's job is to understand you, understand your body, and then figure out if that drug's right for you. But that's only really possible with data and information, like. I think most Americans that have gone to the doctor, like the doctor doesn't spend more than 20 minutes with you, right? Like that's, and that's a good day where you got a lot of time with the doctor, right? Um, I've heard of doctors in an eight hour shift seeing like 40 patients. That's that's not unheard of, right? And so that, like you do the math on that, let's say like 40 patients, that's what, 20 patients in four hours. So every hour they're seeing five patients. And we do the math on that, that's 12 minutes. Plus you got to log it into the EHR. They got to take notes. They got to take bathroom breaks. They got to take lunch they're spending like five to 10 minutes with a patient. The likelihood that that doctor gets all the information about you to make an educated decision on like how your disease works, how the, the, the mechanism of that drug works and then deliver it to you in the right way. I mean, it's just not gonna happen. You could be the best doctor in the world. You're not doing that, right? You could maybe do that if you had like four hours and a bunch of data, right? Uh, or maybe that's too long, but yeah, you need like an hour or two at least, right? To sit through someone's file, look at what's going on, look at their genome, look at their proteomes, like figure out like, how does this disease work? Like, how am I actually helping this person? How does this medication I'm giving them work? What's the interplay between that, right? Like you need data, you need AI, you need computers to, to make that decision. Um, but, you know, just the way medicine's been done, a doctor has to sit there and, you know, they, they don't have the tools to make that decision. And so with health exchange, we sort of want to do two things. One is uh, actually create better drugs. You know, we have these drugs that like kind of work okay for like everyone, but what we want to do is shift that more to like a strat, like a risk stratified model where, uh, you know, to be eligible for this drug, there's certain things that need to be true about you. Like for example, your, your genes have to have like this mutation in a certain way, or like your protein levels need to be high, but If those things are true, this drug will work like not 70% of the time. If if those things are true, this drug will work like 98% of the time, right? And so the idea is you get better outcomes because you've created a better drug and you've created like more boundaries on when and where the drug is going to be used. So it's much more precise. It's not just like throw like ibuprofen at the patient and then see what happens or throw antibiotics and see what happens. It's more like we know exactly what's going on and this is going to solve it in this way. Right. So uh, I think that's really the, the vision we're, we're aiming towards. And, you know, that's that's also very valuable, right? Like in an economic perspective, right, you are essentially uh, like curing a disease. So there's less costs 10 years from now. And so an insurance company, for example, would pay for that drug, would pay a lot more for that drug than another drug that works kind of OK. Right. Because essentially. Like for them, it's a, it's a risk argument. Like everything else, it's if I give them this drug that works ninety eight percent of the time and they check all the boxes, then I have to pay less on their healthcare, right? Then if I have to give them another drug because I've given the other drug over like a pool of ten thousand patients, some of them aren't going to work, some are going to drop off, they're going to go back to the hospital, and that doctor's going to charge me the insurance company again. I don't want that, right? Like I want to get this like done quickly, cost effectively. So I would rather use the the more effective drug, you'd have to pay a little bit more, right? Because essentially I still save money in the long run. And so, yeah, I mean, the idea is these drugs would be better for the people, uh, who are, who are taking them and it would save money for the system because it's actually working right there. There aren't these like off target, like non, uh, inactive drugs. Um, so yeah, I, I'll pause there again, but like, th- this is like the vision that we have for the future where we're really tailoring, uh, tailoring medications and recommendations uh, based on a person's data. And we're also generating the drugs that can be used in the future uh, once you actually like figure out who needs what.
0: Unchecked governments have eradicated privacy and truth. Those who resist are brought down
1: swiftly, but we refuse to submit. Lunapunks are freedom fighters, protected by encrypted shadows. The future we're building is sovereign and uncensorable. The moonlit night is coming.
0: LunaDAO is an investment fund based on Lunapunk philosophy. Sovereign individuals assemble squad wealth to leverage collective strength, become investors, and allocate funds into privacy projects and anonymity tooling, building a portfolio of supported privacy assets. By this, Lunadao supports the developing teams, expands freedom and crypto sovereignty, and captures value in the upcoming privacy cycle. Any member can exit the squad at any time. Members are anonymous, hence can build Lunapunk vision without fear of frozen funds, legal implications, or any kind of repression. Lunadao aims to move to a full Anon setup and expand the Lunapunk forest of encryption, a sanctuary where society can redefine itself self-administrate and regain its economic, political and moral agency. Lunadao also supports research on privacy technologies, listed in the wiki at wiki.lunadao.net, and educational structures such as Adalin Academy at adalinacademy.org where people can acquire knowledge and master skills in programming and economy while developing a philosophical frame to generate the future path of the Lunapunk ecosystem. The launch is coming soon. Stay tuned and follow Lunar Punk Squad on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, and I guess because you've got the data, I suppose it would depend on how up-to-date the data is and um, also what kinds of data you have access to. So um, I'm just kind of thinking that, like, there's sort of like a chance for you to be able to see that even like sort of see that certain drugs actually don't work as well as you think they do. So obviously, you know, you have a drug and then you have like the intended effect and you have, you know, you've had people study it. But then let's say if you got, you know, let's just say you had a million users, let's say, um, and the data you had access to gave you the most up-to-date medication that this person was on uh and then let's just say you know you have like a hundred thousand people on this one drug and because you're getting this kind of like feedback system uh and you're seeing well actually like these people are getting maybe sicker or they've got this you know whatever marker it is they've got this sort of marker of something uh and you can see from the data that um actually it's not working for this person and and i guess so yeah like you were saying you can make these drugs uh stronger again in a sense or, or like um more you can just make the 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 whole kind of uh process of like administering drugs and and choosing the right drug and everything you can just make it a lot more efficient a lot more effective um so that I think that's that's like a really interesting and side of it um so i guess i'm curious um at least like how how do you envision uh the sort of feedback loop of the of the data so like let's let's just say for example uh i was to, to use health exchange right um how often i guess is, is data collected are you aiming for it to be at least in the future you know the 10-year plan like almost like real time or as close to real time like how, how does that kind of part of it work
1: yeah, so in the beginning, it won't be real time, right? Because we have to pay, we have to pay like API costs and like mm-hmm. to actually go in and withdraw this data. So for now, it's, it's going to be a snapshot. But I mean, it, usually those snapshots are enough where you can do things like recruit for clinical trials, for example. Um, that's a great use case uh, for for like non real time data. In the future, yeah, we want to be as real time as possible. Uh, and actually, we've we've planned for this in 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 our tokenomics, right? So we're not. It's not going to be like a one and done payment. We're gonna have like having or you know contributors make less over time, but if you're actively contributing your data, you're gonna get paid every six months. Right? The the rate's gonna decrease as more and more people join the network. It's like like all that sort of traditional things that that'll happen. Uh, to to rewards happen like on our platform as well. Um, but I mean that's how we've designed it, right? To so that you essentially are an ongoing partner like forever. Um, one thing we're actually considering is. Uh, instead of being for the rest of your life, it's just being like forever, essentially, right? Because there's there's ways we can, uh, you know, if we keep having at certain like uh, marked amounts, you'll, the payouts will be lower and lower, but we'll never hit our cap, right? Because we just keep having it, um, and so we think we can like create a system where actually you're getting paid out forever, and you can transfer that to your children, right, or uh, whoever you want to, as as part of your like your will. Uh, and the idea is we have, if we have like folks, for example, with, with brain tumors, and and uh, I think glioblastoma is a, is a, is a great case, like the, the prognosis on that isn't that good, right? Like the five-year survival rate is quite low. However, the data that those patients generate very valuable for future generations, right? Because we can figure out what's causing their cancer, right? Um, what are the mutations that are happening? Even if they don't get to receive like the actual drugs that come out of it, uh future generations do benefit. And so we were thinking like, hey, like how about for these patients, uh, we give them this constant stream of income, except instead of going to them, it now like transfers to their their children, you know, like, un- uh, like unfortunately, like their, their families are affected by this. There might as well be like a, a silver lining a little bit, right? Where uh, their their data is going for sort of the greater good and they're getting paid for it, in it at, a, at a fair price.
0: No, that's that's really cool. Um, I- I guess maybe is the, in some ways that we can get into, I, I'm not going to like go too deep into this, Um, but, but I'm just thinking of like the, the philosophical implications of, of what you just said. And like, in some way, the, I guess you have to call it like IP of a person's uh, genome. Um, I guess you could in some way argue that the person that like comes after them is in some way like like they also like they have that same uh you know dna or they have like some you know very similar dna um and so do they kind of have a right to that because they are actually uh not they're not i don't i don't really know how to, how to put it but um in in yeah, do, do you see what I'm saying? In some ways, yeah. um like it is it is their ancestry and it is and and like objectively like we like we share the same uh DNA. Uh mm-hmm. and so like um yeah, is is it like I wonder if um I wonder if you could kind of argue that like people do deserve to be paid for like their grandma's data. Not just because it's the grandma, but because uh like actually when you you like put it on the, the the sort of like chopping board and you look at the raw data it's like this is so similar that it's basically like their intellectual property almost like you could argue that
1: yeah i'm i'm not sure about the legality of of all that to be honest like that's, yeah. that's sort of over, over outside of my expertise but i i think it's it's definitely it seems fair to me, even if it's not indefinite, if it's like, you know, 30 years after they're passing or 40 years after they're passing, you still get paid out. Like, I don't know what that number is. And obviously we're still designing these things, open to feedback. But, you know, it, it just seems fair that if, if someone is really sick with something and they donated their data, right? Like I'm keeping this purely at the individual level, like much, like I'm not really thinking about, you know, uh, like your kids or, or inheritance or anything like that, but just at, at like a basic like concept of fairness, I've donated my data. I didn't have to, but I did. That data got used, and now it's creating like a, I don't know a billion dollar drug. I get a cut of that. Unfortunately, that happens twenty years in the future, and I'm already dead, right? Like, and so I think it's fair that if I don't get it, I can choose who gets it, right? Like that. It just seems like a, like a fundamentally a fair thing if I'm if I'm starting with the assumption that people own their health data and their um, they're sort of uh, what's the word they're they're, uh, they're owed almost right like certain compensation for that like if they pass and they should just be able to to sort of say who their next of kin is and then that payment goes to them that just seems fair to me but um, I think that was more the, the angle I came from much less like a, a legal like you actually are related to that person so you own it like I I don't know about the legality of that but just it's, it comes down to fairness I think for me.
0: Yeah, no, I agree and and it's also um I guess in in a way um kind of mirrors the ethos of um you know things like NFTs here, people talking about royalties and things and um it's just a, a, a you know trying to make the the existing systems or build alternative systems that are fairer than what's already out there. Um and so I think um definitely i would agree like at least it should be considered there should be some consideration like like you obviously are doing um and uh, yeah i think i think that's important um i guess um my next question would be uh, what are some sort of examples of um these kind of systems that are, you know but that are already sort of successful it doesn't have to be in uh, you know the the crypto space or anything like that. It could be is it like um you know completely non crypto uh, centralized version. Like how do these work uh, and and like what, what are some do you have any like good examples that um I don't know yes. maybe you take inspiration from.
1: Yeah, so it definitely took a lot. I take inspiration from a lot of actually projects in the crypto space. So um, this was tried a few times. Um, the first people to try it, I believe, was a company called uh, Nebula Genomics in 2017. Uh, now you have a few more companies doing something similar to this. I think Genomes.io, uh, is, 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 uh, they're doing like a purely genetic play. Um, Data Lake is another one. I believe they're headquartered in Poland and they're sort of backed by like an EU commission for innovation. And, and they're doing something similar uh, in, in Poland at first. Um, I think the, uh, there's also another company in California called Luna DNA. Um, and they, they are also doing something similar. They spun out of a company called Illumina, which basically makes like all the sequencers on the planet. Um, but the way they're doing payouts is like shares of a public benefit corporations. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit illiquid. Um, it's, it's unclear, like how you derive value on the back end as a user or how much value you derive. But these things exist. Um, but, you know, these are also niche, niche companies. Like for the most part, the way this has been done in the past and the way it continues to be done is just like, you kind of, I mean, these, these companies just take advantage of people's ignorance that these things are going on and just sort of sneaking, right? Like, like there's, there's a little clause for HIPAA and then they, they, they have your data, right? Like, it's, it's all done at that, like, business to business level. No one's going asking patients, like, hey, would you like to do this? In the cases that they are, it's usually like a nonprofit, like a nonprofit for cancer, for example, like your cancer patient, would you like to donate your cancer to this registry, right? Um, and so, uh, at least at scale, I don't think there's a solution out there that, that really pays people for for their individual contributions. Um, they, there are some companies that exist, obviously we think we're better, right? <laughs> uh, but any, any company would say that. But I will say that the things we're focused on um, that we think, uh, Will, will allow us to succeed here is uh, well, a, a few things. One, we, we want to make it really easy for our users, right? Like getting your data in one place, like all this stuff like sometimes with some of these platforms it can take a long time. You want to get that down to like five, ten minutes, right? So like your signups just quick, 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 right? It's like signing up for something online, like a new e-commerce account something like that, right? So uh, we're trying to make that as efficient and streamlined as possible um, so, you know, users don't have to you know, go and call people and just drop off during that. that could, sort of could that agenda. be
0: done potentially with, you know, the some of these like advances recently with decentralized identity? Uh, could that be done with that? Or is that is that sort of um, the identity part of, you know, like logging in and stuff and, and verification that, that kind of has to be done
1: uh, outside of crypto? Yeah, that's the part that has to be done outside of crypto because okay. I think then we get into like uh, identifying. Unless
0: Polygon like does some deal with yeah. the... the you know government or whatever <laughs> and they're like yeah we're using uh polygon blockchain now to do uh healthcare id you know for like social there, security yeah. I mean, numbers and awesome, stuff right yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i mean but you I, never I, you I, never know you never it could it could happen you never know um definitely yeah i mean that would be
1: welcome news for us right but uh at least for yeah because that like, just
0: be yeah. connect wallet like you say the experience yeah. would be you, yeah. you know everyone's already got the mask boom connect
1: uh it's done um
0: yeah sorry yeah. go ahead i did interrupt you there Oh, no, no, no. I mean,
1: I think that that would be awesome. But unfortunately, right now we have to, to essentially use like Web2 providers to, to actually access this, these data sets. So um, but we're working on the integration on the back end, right? Uh, we want to make this really easy. The second thing is there's no like activity based payment, you're gonna get paid regardless, you can log in whenever you want. Uh, of course, like for people who log in more often, they'll probably get surfaced like more offers for clinical trials or some other uh, sort of service based on Um, you know, what they need or what they're logging in for. But, uh, you know, like, uh, another, or uh, we only talked about the clinical trial recruitment as like the the near term, I guess, pathway to to generate value or money for our users. Um, But there's a few more. Um, There's one around uh, copay cards and and, uh, financial assistance. So, uh, for example, uh, since There's a lot of private insurers in the United States. Some people have like co-pays, which is like money they have to pay out of pocket um, on top of what the insurance already covers for them. Uh, But a pharma company, right? Uh, A lot of the money for a drug goes into R&D, you know, that 7% rate, only 7% of drugs work. So billions get spent on R&D. Actually making the drug once you have it, pretty cheap, right? But all that uh, cost is front loaded. Um so if someone drops off of the pharma company's drug because their prices are too high a lot of these pharma companies will actually like just pay your piece for you right or just give you a card that says you don't have to pay the copay right we will still give you the drug because they still get money from the insurance right the the money from the insurance is it'll only be like 200 300 bucks but the drug only costs like 5 10 bucks to make so it's still like net positive for them to just get paid from insurance even if you're not paying your copay so these like there are these like economic uh, like assistance programs and uh, cash programs that are actually not that well known. Because like I think people have it in their ideas, like pharma's a bad guy. I think pharma, like any other company, works for incentives and money, right? And so if it makes sense to them, they'll do it. And in a lot of situations, people can get like reduced costs for their drugs by directly dealing with the manufacturer rather than going to a hospital and insurance and all this other stuff. And so we can service we can surface those offers uh to our patients, right? Uh, and you know, the pharma company is happy, happy because essentially that's like advertising for their drug, right? Like you would have come off the drug, but rather you got this coupon that says you don't have to pay hundred bucks. You have to pay zero dollars. And now you stay on the drug for like another year. So that's another year of revenue for the pharma company. They'll pay for that. They'll pay a lot for that, right? It's very targeted. And we'll we'll make that money. We'll, uh, health exchange, will make that deal with pharma, right? So our users actually get cheaper drugs. We're also getting paid. And so we can pay out a portion of that to our users as well. So basically, you're getting paid to lower your your your, your drug bill, which is like some neat things you can do if you know what's going on at the uh, on the at the incentive side of like both pharma and and what's happening with, with patients at ground level. So there's some really interesting things we can do there. I mean, the, the other obvious one is like like drug advertisements right like you see all that on like these banner ads on the side like hey we could do something like that i mean we have to check into the legality of that because we're targeting data and all that but um i think those are definitely some exciting things we can do that can generate real value both for our users and for like ourselves as a company and effectively our users again because when we make money our users make money
0: (laughs) okay um well just to we're coming up to uh, almost at the hour here. Um so I just want to ask um kind of a I guess a general question um about uh D size. So I, I just asked you, you know, like what are some of maybe examples of like uh other people in in the space that's kind of kind of have a similar thing that they're they're trying to create or or an existing thing. Um and so uh yeah, I I guess I'm I'm wondering um what kind of st- stuff do you see in detail that's that excites you what what are there any um like cool projects like com- maybe it doesn't have to be related to um health exchange or, or like you know the, the, the kind of what you're doing there with with data and things um maybe just just it could be anything i've heard of like hyper um and there's like I uh, uh, did a podcast with uh, DCI World, and we talked about um, the Internet of Things devices. There's this idea where, like, lab equipment's connected to uh, the internet, and so you can like get really granular on, like, even where the the sort of like materials have come from that make up the lab equipment and things like that, just to make sure there's not like any impurity, like you know, for things like test tubes, there might be some impurities in the glass, you know, like things like that. Um, and that kind of you know affect the the experiments and affect the data. Um, so yeah, what what kind of um, what excites you in in D side? Is there any any like interesting projects right now you've got your eye on?
1: So I mean I, I love the guys over at D side World. I think they're they're doing an awesome job. I uh, actually we met on on one of the the, the Twitter spaces they ran. Um, I think like honestly, there's a, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of DAOs out there. Um, doing some, some interesting stuff. Um, There's a, there's a small one called MedDow um, that they're they're sort of growing slowly, but they're essentially creating like a medical credentialing platform on chain um, to prove that someone's a doctor, like on chain essentially. And the things you could potentially do with that is, I mean, doctors could sort of, start giving their opinions on certain things and not, not medical opinions, right. More like as an industry or or key opinion leader. Um, But down the line, it actually could potentially turn into like a decentralized collective of doctors, potentially seeing patients. I don't know how that would work. Right. Um, But that's like way in the future. I don't think that's their mission. Even I think their mission, I'm not sure what their mission is, but for now they're, they're focused on like credentialing doctors. Um, And I think that's really cool where that could go. Um, You know, at more philosophical level, like, I think people have known like scientific publishing has been broken for quite some time now, right? People just churn out some random crap, honestly, like to get their PhDs. And I mean, they kind of have to, right? That's just what, the way, like you don't graduate unless you have a paper. And so like the quality, and and not just like PhD graduates, right? Like if you're at an institution and you want funding, you're just gonna churn out papers, right? Because that determines how much grant money you get the next year. And so with all those incentives like people have gone back and try to reproduce scientific studies and they just don't work and so like so much of, of science right of our scientific body of knowledge is junk like you don't know what's crap and what's good uh because when you go back and, and you repeat the experiment like two three times like oh wait it doesn't work it, it was just some random thing that this person like cherry picked to get published essentially um and yeah i mean the numbers are actually pretty bad like it, it, i don't know the exact numbers but it's like i think it's, it's i think it's below 50 but it's in like the high 30s or 40s. It's like that's what i remember seeing like that many experiments are not reproducible and so i think that i mean that has to change right like people need to believe in science like it's supposed to be like this the great arbiter of truth right like science is, is supposed to be that way and it's not and we see it's not because of incentives and so I think anyone working in that space, like hats off to them. I don't know how you'd even start, to be honest. Like, how do you define what's true? That's like a really, really hard problem. Can you crowdsource it? Like kind of only a few scientists probably know what's going on and like have enough information to do that. So then you start credentialing people. If you do that, you just go back to the system we're in. That's what we do, right? Like we just look at experts and say like, all right, whatever they like, say goes, right? But I mean, how do you do that in like a reproducible you have to reproducibly get to the truth kind of mixing crowdsourcing and this like expertise based stuff. Like I don't even know how you do that to be honest, that the problem is science isn't reproducible. How do we make it reproducible? Uh, it's like, I have no idea. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and I think obviously there's problems like you can't do it post, like based on sort of um, like when you were saying about, you know, giving your opinions and then how do you like um, get the, the credentials and stuff. And, and then are we going back to, just how it was done before um like yeah i could it, like it's hard to like you have to sort of you have you have to sort of make sure up front that those credentials are legitimate it's not like yeah. you could do that in the future based on reputation because that's extremely dangerous you know it's not like an amazon rating system where it's like yeah. oh this guy's a top seller because he sold 100 like you can't just let some random dude Give out, you know, one hundred like to one hundred people these medical opinions, and then after the fact, be like, "Oh yeah, what you said actually worked." And you know, all these people give the feedback, and like, okay, now you're like verified doctor or whatever. You're a good doctor. <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, maybe there's I've, I've seen. Um, is it Kleros? You Have you heard of Kleros before? It's like decentralized justice, basically. So it's like, mm-hmm. um, it, I think I, I don't know that much about it. I, I just remember hearing about it like maybe like two years ago now. Uh, and that's kind of like, a, I think, like a reputation-based thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess I'm just wondering if uh, the... Was it, was it, did you say MedDow? Was it MedDow yeah, that doing the credential? Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, I guess I'm just wondering if, if there's any... Not, not a connection, but if, if uh, any inspiration could be taken from things like Kleros, where they're trying to do something where you, you obviously need credentials and it's a very serious, important problem. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's not you know, you have to be um you'll you have to be on the mark, like as as it said, like you can't just like guess at like is this person a good doctor or, you know, it um same with like, you know, is this person a good judge or is this is this uh you know juror um you know biased in some way or are they you know are they are they fit to be a juror or whatever. Um but yeah, they're they're trying to do something. Um, yeah. In, in, yeah.
1: In shout out to, to one other small DAX. There's a there's a DAO out there called uh, Algovera, uh, Alcovera AI. And they actually uh, uh, awarded us a grant for, for for working on this project. But um, they they give out grants. I think ten grants a month to AI projects uh, in in the space. Uh, and it's sort of like a decentralized funding model, right? Where um, they're just trying to get more sort of AI happening. Uh, in this space. So Algovera, if you haven't heard of them, definitely check them out as well. Um, and then uh, Desai World, I think we, we mentioned them in passing, but Desai World is sort of this, like the aggregator website. So if you're interested in dci mm-hmm. like that's the place you go to, just because it has yeah. a list of every single DCI, uh project going on. I think we're on it. Algovera on it, right? Uh, I think Molecule, BioDAO, HairDAO, uh, AthenaDAO, like they're all like, uh, they're all sort of listed on Desai World. So I, I think, Deci World is doing a good job of just like aggregating everything and just drawing just general interest to the space, um, so I like them as well. So uh, you asked me for who's interesting. I think Meddow is doing some cool stuff. Deci World is doing some cool stuff. Albera is also doing some some great stuff on more. It's it's less uh, about like bio or like hard science. It's more specifically focused on AI, which I mean it's probably a science now too, right? Like,
0: <laughs> um. So yeah, and and I think um on that note what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you uh if you want you can have the floor if there's do you think we've missed anything is there anything that you think is important to get out there um like anything at all what is there anything any sort of like final uh you know closing words
1: you know, I think that's pretty much it um at the end of the day like the reason I started health exchange like I've worked with pharma companies with sort of life science companies um and I've also worked in a lab so like the, the what really led me and my co-founder to starting health exchange was this idea that, you know, there's a huge market we can really meaningfully make a dent in medicine and we can do it while paying our users. Right. Like, so we think it's like a sort of like a beautiful system in that sense where, uh, you know, everybody wins. Right. Um, like we can create something that will, will meaningfully impact patient lives. We can pay our users. We can be a partner to pharmaceutical companies. Right. Um, and so, Uh, we, we see ourselves really as this like negotiator mediator, um, that can really get things done. Um, but at the end of the day, we're only as powerful as our users let us be, right? The more users we have, the more power we have, uh, as, as a, as a company. Um, but I guess uh, other than that, you know, health exchange, uh, we, it's spelled without the E, so it's just Health Exchange. Um, you can follow us on, on Twitter, uh, it's health underscore exchange without the E again, um. And, you know feel free to drop by our discord uh, but mainly we, we stay active on 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 twitter uh but yeah uh we'll be we'll be launching our, our products soon we'll we'll put out announcements on there uh but but thanks again for for having me on the, the, the podcast use it i appreciate it
0: yeah no not a problem i've really enjoyed this i think people are going to learn a lot uh i i definitely learned a lot uh and i have done in the past like in the you know in the the spaces and things um well as, especially the one the other day um so like you know for example the thing about the one in three americans the the little factoid i was like wow that's like pretty shocking you know like i think people need to hear about that um and in fact you on this podcast you said it's actually worse than that yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah no i've really enjoyed this um i appreciate your time i appreciate you coming on um everyone you need to check out health exchange uh, i'm going to put all the links in the description um obviously the twitter um you know if you got do you have a you obviously have a website um do you have um like any any other kind of uh websites or anything that you that you want to point people to
1: uh just our twitter and discord honestly just- our, our website we're doing a little bit of a, a revamp so you could join the uh, like uh, you can create an account and you'll be you'll be updated but uh, we recommend right now just twitter and discord uh, but soon we'll have a revamped website. We'll have a mailing list, everything, everything set up. In the
0: Sweet. Next few months, so. Okay, Twitter, Discord, website will all be in the description. Check it out. Hari from Health Exchange. Thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. You guys know what to do. If you have any comments, put them down there. Like, subscribe, notification bell, all that good stuff, and uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.